take a book that has so many ideas that are just like willy nilly out there, like a spaghetti thrown against the wall and turn them into a coherent book that makes you uh, the person that people want to hire because they get to know, like, and trust you and want to take you uh, on their journey so you can lead them from mess to success and make them look like the hero. You are listening to Amplify Your Success Podcast, episode 259. And today we're going to learn from one of the industry experts how to write a book that's not just good, but great. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level, you're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. Your host, Melanie Benson here, authority amplifier to expertpreneurs just like you. And uh, we are nearing the end of 2021. What a year, what a crazy ride, right? And One of the big conversations that has happened over and over and over again is how are you going to stop being a best kept secret and get yourself out there in a bigger way? So I've been working a process with my VIP clients on how to get booked, get leads and get five and sometimes even six figure clients. And if you'd like to have access to this resource that you're going to want to join me in the Amplifier Authority Facebook group. That's right. We're giving it away in my Facebook group. When you join, I will link it up in the show notes, or you can just search for me on Facebook, Amplify Your Authority group. Now inside this plan, I'm going to give you the steps to take to get yourself booked on the right stages, not just any stages, but the right stages. So you're actually getting leads that turn into five-figure clients. I have done this over and over and over again when I guest on other people's podcasts and stages. And I want to show you what works because if you're going to be a highly paid authority, you need to be getting clients from all those guest spots that you're speaking on, right? I don't want you wasting your time. I don't want you going out there and being visible, but not getting results. It's time to get profitable with great clients. So let me show you how to do it in my Facebook group. Head on over to the show notes, wherever you're listening to this, and you'll find the link to join me in our Facebook group. All right, now let's get into today's episode on how to write a really great first draft and take it from good to great. Welcome back, Amplifiers. I'm excited today to talk about how to take your first draft of that book that you're writing and take it from good to great and why that's important for you. Uh, Let me introduce my friend, Dan Janelle. Now, Dan works with top business leaders who want to elevate their reputations and set themselves apart from their competition. As a book coach, developmental editor, and a ghostwriter, he shapes stories and strategies that can transform a career or business. With more than 25 years of experience, Dan has written more than a dozen books that have been translated into six languages, He's a former award-winning daily newspaper reporter and business news editor. He's interviewed President Gerald Ford and First Lady Barbara Bush. And Dan is the host of the award-winning podcast, Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Chanel, which was named one of the top 50 podcasts for thought leaders 
by thinkers360.com. And today we are blessed to have Dan filling in some of the puzzle pieces on getting a great book out into the world. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Melanie. And I love the fact that you brought up the puzzle pieces because I love doing jigsaw puzzles because one of my great skills is taking chaos and bringing it into order. So whether it be a thousand pieces in a puzzle that you have to get to look like uh, Leo, Leo, like Michelangelo. Whatever that person's name was. Or take a book that has so many ideas that are just like willy nilly out there, like a spaghetti thrown against the wall and turn them into a coherent book that makes you uh, the person that people want to hire because they get to know, like, and trust you and want to take you uh, on their journey so you can lead them from mess to success and make them look like the hero. That's yeah. my It's a mm. great place to talk about how your mess helped you become a success too. Like, <laughs> I think books are so important. Okay. Before we go on, I got to ask you, do you really like doing puzzles? Like really real puzzles? Real are you a puzzle, puzzle guy? Because my husband's a puzzle guy and he's like on, he's on, he's moving on to a 3000 puzzle piece puzzle. And Ooh. I'm like, this feels insane. I don't know. This is a bad idea. This puzzle could be up in my house for like years. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could, it could be. I, I've done thousand piece puzzles, but the pandemic, you know, you're stuck in your house. You got to do something. And I just saw a puzzle in a bookstore. It's like, it clicked. I can do this. I, it fulfills my need for organization. So yeah, I got to talk to your husband sometime. We can trade stories. <laughs> Knowing him, he's going to ship you his favorite puzzle and, and have you take pictures of it. That's what he does. He like, they share puzzles with each other. So anyway, I was just curious if you are really a puzzle guy. Oh yeah. I, I even take pictures of, of the puzzle in progress. Like we like time-lapse videos. Yes, How's that that's what he does. Insane. Woo. Oh my God. You guys are destined to be friends. Okay. We're, we're making it happen. So Social media connection coming together. Cool. <laughs> He's going to listen to this and go, who am I meeting? Who is this new friend? <laughs> who are these crazy people who do these things? Yeah, my wife. Exactly. Exactly. Who did we marry? This is insane. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I like puzzle pieces too, and I like putting puzzles together. So it's a perfect fit. Um, well, let's get back to you and what we're all about today. I, I'm really excited for this because I think that there are some answers we've been talking about authoring and with different people over the, the last couple of years. And, you know, everybody's got a process. And I think there's something really magical about what we're going to talk about with this idea of, of getting to a really great first draft. And so let's just get some context. Why is it important for someone who's writing a book to write a great first draft rather than a mediocre or really bad first draft? Well, it's important to write a first draft and get your ideas down. By the very nature of, of the process, it's going to be a rotten first draft. Annie Lamott, who wrote the wonderful book Bird by Bird, which is like the Bible of, uh, of book writers, said all shit first drafts are shitty. Her word, not mine. Um, and she's right. A lot of people need that time to sit down and write and clarify their ideas. Some people I've interviewed on my podcast have gone through six or seven first drafts and thrown them out. And they finally said, now I found my voice. Now I found my avatar. Now I know who I want to reach. Now I know what I want to say. Now I know what I want to get out from this book for me and for them. And I think a lot of people who aren't clear on what's in it for them uh, aren't going to have a big enough why to finish their book. And if they don't have a big enough why for the transformation of their reader, then no one's going to want to read the book. So I think the first draft gets to that point. So you have a first draft. How do you make it really good? 
because you know these are just a flesh of ideas that you're throwing together. In fact, one of my new clients is uh, in, in finance. They're, they want to raise money. And they sent me the first draft of their book, which they thought was great. And they, were, they couldn't wait to finish it. I mean, it, they, they sent it to me and said, revision 23. So 23 times they revised this. It was the worst piece of garbage I've ever seen in my life. They, they, they had words in the middle of sentences that were capitalized. There was grammar mistakes. They used the same term. Inter, they used two different terms interchangeably. And these are important financial terms. If they published that book, they would have been laughed out of Wall Street. They would have been laughed out of any venture capital company that they were trying to reach. And I told them in the executive summary, do not publish this book. <laughs> it so it's needs real help. Important. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and we'll talk about a number of ways to get that kind of help. But certainly the first one is to get a beta reader or a peer review or work with someone like me who does this professionally to get a feedback from people. You know, I interviewed someone on my podcast the other day who had a book published by the Stanford University Press. And his book went through peer review from university professors. And they said, you need to change this, change that, whatever. And he could decline. But he said, if I had to decline, I had to explain why I wasn't changing it. Or if I was changing it, I had to explain why I was changing it and why and how I was doing it. And if there was an in-between point, he had to say, well, I'll do this, but not that. I mean, I don't go to that level of professorial conduct for my books and my authors, but I think they're on the right track there, that there are higher levels of integrity because you want that integrity for your book. I see so many books that are like 40 page eBooks and people think, oh, I've written a book. Well, that book does not give you any credibility. Any of your clients who you're asking for a $5,000 speaking engagement or a $50,000 consulting arrangement or more isn't going to be impressed by a 40 page ebook with large type and wide margins. I might add, they want to see true thought leadership. They want to see good ideas. They want to see case studies and histories. They want to see statistics. They want to see information that truly shows that you are the thought leader that is going to help them solve their problems. That's what takes a book from good to great. I love that you're bringing in the thought leadership piece. And I think sometimes it, it can be equally inspiring and somewhat daunting to think I've got to like really find my thought leadership in this first draft. Right. And I don't know, like I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I know for me, that'd be like, Oh my God, I've got to get my first draft. So good. So what are some tips you have for us to help us bring that like kind of finicky, maybe kind of drab first draft into a fantastic manuscript that would really help us be experienced as a thought leader. Well, realize that you have a good story to tell. A lot of people stop and they have digital dust on their manuscripts just getting there because they said, well, you know, Professor Smith at Harvard knows a lot more about this than I do. And, you know, she she just run me ragged if I, if I compared to her. And the truth of the matter is that Professor Smith isn't writing your book for your audience, for your niche doesn't have your experience, your case studies, your histories, your special fine tuning. So there's always room in the marketplace for another book. So I think a lot of people have this mind game. It's like, well, there's so many other books out there like that. Well, there's always room for another book because it has your stories. And that's the book that's going to be your lead generator that's going to get clients to come to you. Because frankly, Professor Smith isn't taking on any clients. She has tenure. She doesn't have to worry about dealing with clients anymore. You and I do. So 
really that's the differentiator too. That's how we stand out is tell a story that's uniquely our story because no one else has our story. Exactly. And a lot of people wonder, how do I tell a story, especially in a nonfiction book? I had a client who said, well, I don't tell stories. And he had like four pages on the history and theory of flow, which is like, oh, come now. No one wants to read four pages on the history and theory of flow. We all know what it is in, in a in like flow. It feels like time flies, sort of like when we're doing puzzles, uh, sort of like when we're editing, uh, time just flies. Uh, that's all you need to say. And he went on for four pages. So I said, you need stories. And he said, well, I don't tell stories. So I used the Tony Robbins technique. And I said, well, if you could tell a story, what story would you tell? And he proceeded to tell the story that when he was the PR director for Simon & Schuster, he got a call one day from his boss who said, we just signed this new author from England who's selling a lot of books. You need to put together a press tour for her. And I know you're too busy to do this yourself. So you got to train someone in, in your office to go on the road with this person and do the press tour. So he told the story about how he brought in uh, a, a new younger woman and mentored her and told her and taught her how to go, how to do a press tour, how to work with authors, how to work with the media, whatever. So she went on the road with J.K. Rowling on their very first press tour for with, to promote the Harry Potter books. Now, what happened? The author, Alan, looks like the world's greatest mentor because he didn't take the prize himself. He could have gone on the road with her. He could have been become J.K. Rowling's best friend. He could have garnered all that and said, I did it, look at me. But instead, he helped mentor someone else, which frankly was the purpose of his book. So by telling that story, which we put in the very front of the book, now we know, like, and trust Alan. We want him to be our boss or to work with us on our teams and our leadership because he's the greatest guy in the world because of this story. So that's the power of story. So how do you create a story for a nonfiction book? It follows a very simple format. Company had a problem. They tried A, B, C, and D. It didn't work. They brought in Melanie. Melanie surveyed the situation and recommended D, E, and F. They tried that, and consequently, their profits went up, their employee engagement went up, their uh, turnover went down, and everything was wonderful. And a quote from the president of the company said, Melanie is fantastic. We couldn't have done it without her. Bingo. That's your, that's your case study. Very simple. When you realize that, it's really simple to tell a story. And that's what people learn. Uh, I'm editing a book now that has a lot of lecture. And I said, you know, people don't learn by lecture. People learn by stories. In fact, I said, you know, the left brain or is it the right brain that relates to stories? I said, you know, I wish someone would tell a story about left brain and right brain, because that way I know that one side is artistic and one side is uh, logical, but I can't remember which is which. If only someone told a story, then I'd be able to remember which side of the brain is left brain and right brain. That. That is uh, and a good story to tell. <laughs> I'm assuming that would be metaphorical. Yeah, yeah. You know, some people say, well, you know, I can't write. I'm not a good writer. My fifth grade teacher said, you know, gave me a paper and it was all marked in red. Um, and there, there are people, well, that's why they invented editors. That's why they invented copy editors. Um, I talked to one woman who actually dictated her book while she was stuck on in traffic on the New Jersey Turnpike. So you can find the time, you can do the work, you can speak your book. And a lot of people do that. Uh, they work with ghostwriters. They'll dictate their ideas and a ghostwriter will turn them into 
great, great ideas. You know, uh, I spoke with Bob Blan uh, Kent Blanchard, the author of The One Minute Manager. He's written 70 books and all of his books were written with co-authors. And after his speech was over, I went up to him, I said, you know, you're a brilliant guy. How come you write books with other people? Why don't you just write by yourself? And he said, I learned so much when I work with other people. And I thought, how humble was that? And how, 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 how right he was. You, we have this myth that writers have to work alone, that you sweat blood, you know, and no, 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 no. We do everything else in a group. We do everything else with coaches. Why not have a coach for your book? Why not have a community of your peers that can review your book? You're going to deal with copy editors and proofreaders and layout designers and cover people. Why not work with a book coach or a development editor as well to make sure that your words say exactly what you want so it gets the results that you want? So I guess I'm, I'm in this question right now, and I'm, I'm imagining that this might also be a distinction that would be valuable to our Amplify community. How do we know we've gotten a great first draft? Like what's different than like the kind of draft that you can't do anything with? I guess let's just make sure we're really clear about that distinction. Okay, great. Well, let's look at a checklist. First of all, there's the, the technical aspects. Grammar. You know, did you run through Grammarly or ProWritingAid or some other mechanical tools to make sure that you have all the typos out and that it reads well? I mean, if there are little squiggly lines underneath your words, that means there's a typo. <laughs> Fix it. Clean it up. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Microsoft Word is giving you a hint there so you don't embarrass yourself. So that, that's the first pass. You, know, you just want to make sure that it looks good technically. And then you ask the two basic questions that I mentioned earlier. Does it fulfill my marketing purpose in writing this book? Does it show me to be the expert in these areas that I want to be known as an expert in? Um, you know, why write a book that focuses on ideas and tactics and problems that you are tired of solving, that you're bored with solving, that, that don't pay very well, that attract the wrong kinds of clients. That's bad. So you wanna work with a developmental editor early on. So you get focused and say, you know, what is my passion? What are the problems that I wanna solve? What are the consulting and speaking engagements that I want to get? And then when you write, this, the, you, you figure out what those are, then you intersect that with the needs of your clients because the or the needs of your readers, because the only reason why anyone will read a book is to solve their problems. So the intersection of your desires and what makes you happy intersecting with the problems that your prospects have who can afford to pay your money. Uh, that's the, that's what, that's what, that's what creates the book. So anything that does not fit in there, you throw out or you don't even write. You just say, okay, I had to write this to get to the next level, but it doesn't serve me anymore. So you get rid of it. Uh, as they say, you kill your darlings. Well, yeah, if it's not going to fulfill the business purpose for you uh, that you wanted to get from, from your book from the outset, then get rid of it. I, I, I worked with one client who really wanted to write a book on uh, communication skills for programmers so, so they can get ahead in the world. But he wrote his autobiography as the first part of the book. And I said, you know, this is not going to fly. And he said, yeah, but I want to tell the story so my son can read the book and know what I did. And I said, yeah, but your audience doesn't want to read this. And we went back and forth on it a number of times uh, so he could get the book that he really wanted that would help him professionally. Bingo. What you just said right there, I have coached so many people who 
asked me to help them um, like monetize the impact of their book uh, after they've written it. And they realize they've written the wrong book. So <laughs> what I'm hearing you say, right, is like they've written a book that tells their life story. And I'm like, but, but like, is your ideal client really needing to read that story to get what you want them to do to, to work with you? So this is perfect. And uh, I will uh, also capture these in the show notes for everybody, because I think this checklist is really valuable to look through that maybe even before you start writing the book to make sure that the draft, the first draft you write is so good that it's easier to do what I think you're going to tell us next, which is what we do with a great first draft to become a great book. Yeah. So we talked about the grammar and things like that, but also realize that people have different modalities for learning styles. So our first thought is we're going to write a book and a book is a bunch of pages with a lot of black type on white background going on and on and on. And that, believe it or not, that's going to turn off a lot of people because a lot of people learn visually. And I look at Russell Brunson's books and I look at Jeffrey Gittimer's books, which are brilliant because they break that mold beautifully. Uh, Jeffrey Gittimer with his sales books and his customer service books will have large type, like one word on a page, like pink lettering on a red background that says, you know, sell or think or whatever, just like a pattern interrupted. It's really, really great stuff. Russell Brunson has written a number of books uh, for internet marketers. Uh, One is called Expert Secrets, and there are a few others that sound pretty much like that. Great books. He will tell people a story or tell people what to do in words, and then he'll take the key points and put them in a stick figure drawing like maybe on a blackboard with a teacher or a balloon coming out of people's mouths. And it just hits people differently. I read it and it's like, it affected a different part of my brain. And I thought, this is brilliant. Now you have other people who are engineer types. They want to see numbers. So you tell those stories, that's great. They want to see the, the, the data for it as well. So go to Google and type something study. And believe me, you will find dozens of studies on anything you can possibly think of, employee engagement, customer retention, on and on and on. There are millions of studies on Google that you can find and put into a book. So you have statistics that will appeal to those people. And there are people who just put cartoons, you know, light, nice, fun cartoons. Uh, there's a guy named Chip Bell who does customer service. He spoke at an Alan Weiss conference and he had this thin little book that he gave out, almost looked like a children's book. And I said, you know, it's a thin book. It's, it, it's not a normal size. It's much smaller. Uh, it has a lot of pictures. It has large type. It's, you know, it, it's, why did you write a book like this? You're a thought leader. Why are you writing a book that looks like a children's book? And he said, well, my audience are frontline customer service personnel for hotels. They don't want to know the history of flow. They want to know how to deal with an irate customer right now. So I have to speak to them in their own language in a way that's going to appeal to them so they can solve their problem right now. And I thought, man, that is brilliant. You don't have to have 40,000 words of dense type. You can, if you can get your message across with a picture or a cartoon or a chart, then do that. Well said. So really a first draft is a stepping stone to getting the book to be able to go through the other components. So what what happens after the first draft before it gets out in published in, in a bookstore? 
Sure. When I deal with my clients, some of them work with me from day one. So their first scripts are really good because we have an outline. We know what they're going to do. They write it. And every week we talk. So they're on track. Other clients come in after they've written the first draft and I'll review it and we'll decide what to do next. I'll point out what works, what doesn't work and how to make it better and instructions for doing all of that. Uh, I'm editing one book right now that was first draft. And the guy said, I wrote some blog articles and I tried writing an ebook and I stuck them all together. So there's some duplication and some ideas I had that I haven't really figured out how to do yet. So it was part outline, part written, part duplicated written. He said, you know, how can I make sense of this? And I read through the book and said, okay, using my puzzle skills and my journalism skills said, okay, here's your outline. And we just, you know, because I could see the forest for the trees. He was too close to it, but because I could stand back from it, I had that perspective and said, okay, here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. Move this here, move that there, and uh, and you'll be good. So he's a very happy camper right now. Nice. So really like working with you kind of accelerates the whole process and makes it faster. It does. It also makes it better because when I talk with my clients, we go back and forth, we share ideas. And uh, this doesn't happen in email. It happens you know, in Zoom where you can actually talk to each other in real, real time. So I have one client who's a chiropractor who's writing a book on neuroscience and he'll say something and I'll say something to make the idea even better. I'll say, oh, that's great. Well, how can I make it better? Because, you know, he's a doctor, he has degrees, he's medical, and I certainly am not, but I'm the layman. I can see like, I don't understand that. Tell me more, explain that, you know, what does this term mean? And also I know things that he doesn't know from the coaching world because he doesn't know about assessments and the wheel of life assessment and other things like that, that would help him uh, serve his audience better because he's very technical and he knows his stuff, but it's hard for him to translate that into consumer language. So I can help him do that. So it's a meeting of the mind. You know, you want to find a book coach and developmental editor who is not an expert in your field, but who knows enough about and is interested in your topic to be able to add value to what you're doing. And who frankly has an interest. Like I have no interest in writing about marriage or relationships or families or religion or memoirs. I can refer people to that. Um, so, but for business and finance and personal finance and uh, self-help, you know, I'm the man, you know, I, I've done it. <laughs> I don't want to, it sounds like a commercial. I don't want to be a commercial, but you know, they're, they're, when you talk to someone, you want to make sure they have a passion for your idea, because if they don't, it's going to be misery for everyone. I'm talking to a prospect now that is redesigned, that they actually wrote a book on how to build and rebuild dental offices. It's a good book. I'm, a, I'm an architecture nerd. I mean, I love this stuff. So I thought it was great. And they want to recast that book for veterinarian offices. And I said, this is really cool. Now, I doubt there are very many ghostwriters or book coaches out there who are architecture nerds who would think that the idea is like, gee, how can we, how can we design a book for a vet office? <laughs> I have two cats. Uh, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, so you, you want to have someone who has that, that passion uh, that you have. and the technical expertise to help fill in what you don't know. Fascinating. And I guess it does really help to have some uh, interest in what your clients are wanting to achieve because you're a little more invested in the outcome than if you have absolutely zero idea what they're trying to say or what they're talking about. 
That's so true because you're really living together for four or six months or however long it takes to to write the book. So you really want to know that you like the person because if they have some sort of um, personality mismatch, it's like buying a pair of shoes that don't fit. They're they're not going to feel any better when you walk out of the store. Yeah, it's going to rub on you and cause some friction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially with with coming to books. So it's uh, yeah, um, it is. So you want you, you want to have someone who has that the personal feel as well as the educational or the uh, the topic feel that you're looking for. Nice. So, you know, if somebody recognizes it's time for them to hire someone to help them shape and, and you know, extract this book and create a great first draft and a book, uh, what would be the first place they could start with you? Well, uh, they go to writeyourbookinaflash.com and there are a number of free resources there and you can schedule an appointment with me to talk and we'll see if it's, it's a good fit. Okay, good. Uh, so, um, and you mentioned you have something called three keys for getting your book done fast. Sure. There are a lot of head games that we haven't talked about that uh, stop people from writing their books. So there are a number of exercises in there that's like, gee, I'm not good enough. I have the imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome or inferiority complex. We have exercises that go over that as well as other technical things to help you get over that hump. You know, Seth Godin talks about the dip where people start off. They have so much enthusiasm. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to play the guitar. I'm going to be whatever. And then uh, they reach this plateau and they go into this cavern like oh my god this is harder than I thought you know I thought I was gonna be a doctor but uh, I took you know, this bio course and you know it's just everyone is failing uh, you need a coach or you need someone to help you get out out of that dip so it's a very normal process uh, we so we talk about things like that 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 work more in the mind game to help you get through those ruts so you actually can write your book Successful outcomes are 90% mindset first, aren't they? (laughs) If you got to get in the right mindset to get the right result. Right. Write your book in a flash.com. Got it. Okay. So I will hook that up in the show notes for everybody. And, you know, um, I love at this time, Deanne, kind of bringing all my guests to these two standard questions, because it's kind of fun to end with what is the boldest thing you've ever done to get where you are today? I'm going to take that and put it into the future because I am in the process of doing it right now. Oh, Uh, okay. I started a mastermind group for book coaches, developmental editors, and ghostwriters two months ago. I Mm. have seven people in it now, and it grows by a person or two every month. And you're saying, well, gee, a mastermind group for people, you know, some people have coaching programs or certification programs. That's perfectly cool. But once you're out there in the real world, who are you going to talk to? You know, we are, lo- we are, I don't say we're loners, but we work in a lonely profession. Uh, by our very nature, we are not credited with the, on the book cover. No one knows who we are. We are anonymous, but yet we're running businesses. So are we charging enough? Are we writing contracts properly? Are we uh, dealing with, cl- how do we deal with uh, clients who are uh, a little crazy? Um, or, you know, the technical aspects of running a business and also improving ourselves professionally. And I realized that, you know, no one has staked out this position. So this is where the boldness comes in to get back to answering your question. It's like, well, no one's known for being the center point, the center of influence for book coaches, developmental editors, and ghostwriters. Why not me? So 
this is the boldness of taking that statement and seven people believe in me so far and they're spreading the word as well because they're getting a lot of value out of it. I'll share one quick story. We talked about you know horror stories with clients and we all have horror stories with clients. One woman said she had a client who was so narcissistic, he dedicated the book to himself. Hmm. You can't make that stuff up. So uh, the camaraderie, the sharing ideas, uh, it's really coming together in a mastermind group that doesn't come through in any other kind of way because we're all, you know, uh, one step ahead of each other in a lot of different ways and learning from each other. So that's mm -hmm. a lot of fun, a lot of professional growth and a lot of personal satisfaction as I'm building a community. Yeah, I love that. And what is one thing you wish you would have done sooner? Oh, wow. Um, honest to goodness, networking. I've met more people in Zoom over the last year than I have in the last 20 years of going to conferences. I mean, I'm an introvert. You would know that by, by, by this call, you know, I'm, I'm not off the chart introvert, you know, I'm sort of in the middle. But if I go to a conference, I'm the guy standing in the corner drinking coffee and eating too many donuts. But on Zoom calls with all these networking with these forced, and I say forced in a positive way, Meeting rooms, you know, you're in with seven, eight other people. There are ground rules. Everyone's there to meet other people. It's uh, friendly and inviting. And you, you give your two-minute spiel. And some people say, yeah, I'm interested. Let's have another conversation. And I've met so many people. And frankly, you know, it's not just people, but it's the range of people as well. Because I've been in you know the high tech PR industry and writing industry for a good number of years, and you know I hang out with my friends, and we've all gotten older together, which means that there are a bunch of people you know 10, 20, 30 years younger than I who I have never met, who are really cool people and have really good things to say and to learn from, and vice versa. And now we're learning from each other because of these groups. And to be real frank, um, you know people of color and people of different backgrounds and people in different countries that, you know, at conferences, you generally don't mingle that much, especially as an introvert. Now, I'm meeting lots of people of all different, very backgrounds. I'm inviting a lot of them to be on my podcast. And if you look at the, you know, the, the, the pictures of people on my podcast, it's like, you know, you know, it looks like America. Uh, so it's really cool. So I met a lot of great people. So I wish I had done that earlier because, you um, you can't do things by yourself. Uh, things go a lot faster, as Zig Ziglar said, if you work with other people. So he was right. Uh, I love that you brought that up because I know not everyone is a natural connector. And even if you are, you may not be prioritizing that uh, kind of smaller group connection time that can move mountains. And I And I'm a huge collaborator. I really value collaboration. And I think that um, podcasting is a natural way to create some of those connections, but that's still one person at a time. So I love you showed the idea of like getting people in small groups on zoom. And you're probably talking about the, the, uh, joint venture marketing group we're both in <laughs> that they do those small groups, but yes, um, that's a great one to, to put higher on the list of priorities. So mm -hmm. Dan, is there any last words you want to leave us with as we wrap up? Well, thanks for the opportunity, of course, but also you can write a book. Uh, a lot of people talk themselves out of it for any number of reasons or number of myths that stop people from writing their books. But the truth of the matter is you have something to share and the book is a great lead generator that can change your life. So write your book, 
it will it can definitely change your life it changed mine when i wrote i wrote a book that was translated into several languages it led to speaking engagements literally from beijing to budapest all across canada the united states mexico and even rio de janeiro it all happened with a book that is really the key is the book is going to be out there sharing what you're about on your behalf with a major amount of credibility and authority so uh it's time to get a book. <laughs> All right, Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate you. And I want to make sure that you, as you're listening in, if you've got a book in you that you haven't written, or you know you're writing a book and it's not getting out of you in a very good way, and you're making all kinds of mistakes, uh, go check out Dan's stuff. We'll hook him up in the show notes. We'll link up his resources so you have them handy. And if you're in Amplify Your Authority in our free Facebook group, then uh, we want to hear in there how you're going to get your first draft written and let's get you a date. So there's some accountability. All right, everybody have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com. And I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going, and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name, and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. 